0: The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we'll read from 11 through 30. Luke, chapter 7, 11 through 30. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Naan, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. And when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things, and John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come to him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answered, answering, said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me." And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God being baptized, I'm sorry, rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. We'll read that far in the word of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, As we come to this evening worship service after having commemorated the Lord's Supper together this morning, we don't want to take our eyes off of our Lord Jesus, but continue to look to him. So also in this evening, we want to focus on one of those characteristics of Christ that is so endearing to us, namely his compassion. God is so kind to leave on record Uh, true-life histories, examples, where even those who are very mature in their faith came into times of great struggle. And I think those of us who know the Lord know of such times of struggle. And yet, even though that is the case, the Lord Jesus Christ would minister to one and the other according to their need in the greatest and tenderest of compassion. Tonight, we're going to be considering, with God's help, one of the greatest, if not, well, according to Jesus, the greatest Old Testament prophet there was, namely John the Baptist. But even this man of God had his moments where he struggled to know is this truly the one, or do we look for another? And our text is the history that we read, but we're going to focus particularly on Luke 7, verse 23. These words where Jesus says at the end of his message to John, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Our theme then is our compassionate Savior. In the first place he understands. In the second place he exhorts. And in the third place, he I'm sorry, he encourages, and then thirdly, he exhorts. In the context that we were reading together, two very notable miracles had just happened. Just before the part that we read, Jesus had cured the centurion's servant, not even by going to his home, but simply speaking a word at a distance, and then that servant was healed. And then we read together how this widow woman, without even so much as noticing Jesus or calling upon Jesus, Jesus noticed her as she was in a funeral procession to go on her way to bury her only son who had died. Jesus spoke to the dead man. He was raised to life and restored to his mother. And the reaction of those two miracles was instant and significant. Because we read, And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And then we read this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. So word was spreading about these miraculous doings of the Lord Jesus and yet all the while John the Baptist was in prison. Now was he in prison children because he had done something wrong? No, in fact he was in prison because he did something right. Right. He was bold enough to tell King Herod that he was living in sin by taking away the wife of his brother and marrying her, which was against the law of God. And yet, even though he had done such a bold thing and Herod punished him by locking him up in prison, Herod was afraid of John, believe it or not. Mark chapter 6 says, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy. So that he heard John gladly. And that wasn't the only time that John spoke up in the Lord's name. He had spoken many wonderful things about the Lord. So, how would Jesus minister to his imprisoned prophet? Just by way of background, boys and girls, John the Baptist, we know, lived a pretty simple life. His home was in the wilderness. His diet was very simple, locusts and wild honey. His clothing was very simple, basically one wardrobe, very similarly dressed to the other Old Testament prophets that we read about. And you remember how his main message was twofold First, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to change your mind. You need to turn around. You need to change your ways. It's a message we all still need today. The second message of John was to point away from self and away from sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he didn't hesitate to even say to the Jewish leaders on one occasion, O generation of vipers, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. In other words, your life, my life, has to align with repentance. We have to show that we are fighting against sin and living unto God. That was the man, boys and girls, that Jesus called the greatest of all the prophets. And yet... If you would ask John what he thought of himself, he said, compared to Jesus, I'm not worthy. Today we would say, I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces, to take off his sandals, to unbuckle his sandals. This was the same one who said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. He didn't mind at all that people stopped coming to him and started going to Jesus because that was what he called them to do. He actually said, A man, when people were saying, Well, look at your disciples going after Jesus, he was rejoicing and he explained, He said, A man can do nothing except it be given him from above. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And John had such insight at one point into the Lord Jesus and his ministry that he said, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. So he knew this was the one, this was the key to eternal life for lost sinners. Now imagine this same John in prison saying to himself, is this the one? Or should we look for another this John, hearing the miracle of a Gentile uh, centurion servant being cured with a word, a woman whose son was raised from the dead, and so many other things. you got to wonder if he was thinking in his mind, well, can't Jesus get me out of this prison? Now, whether or not he actually asked that question, we don't know. But what we do know is he sent two of his followers to Jesus And the question he sent him must have been painful for him to ask. And it certainly must have been painful for Jesus to hear. Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? Now there are commentators who speculate that John didn't do this because of his own doubts, that maybe he wanted his disciples to hear this and so they would follow Jesus. And that may well be... But when you look at the context, you look at the way John sent these messengers to Jesus, the messes that Jesus sent back to John, it seems pretty clear this was actually John's sincere question. And now we sit here tonight in, a, in an hour of reflection after the Lord's Supper. And I'm wondering, can any of us relate to this man in this condition? Maybe there are some of us who, in the past, we had thought that we had been trusting in Jesus. We had thought that he had been working in our lives. We had thought, perhaps, that we were following him. It seemed like he entered into our life by word and spirit. We, we came to know him, it seemed. It, it, we came to love him. But maybe your life hasn't quite worked out the way you had hoped. Maybe it isn't the happy ending that you had thought it would have. Maybe you have prayed for things that have not come to pass. Maybe you've asked God to be married and you're still single. Maybe you've asked to have children but are unable. Maybe you've prayed to be used of the Lord and you're all tied up with everyday responsibilities and commitments. Whatever your situation may have been, there can be people wondering, is he really the one? Or do we look for another? Is he really there? Does he really keep his promises, the promises that I have been pleading Maybe for years. Is he actually on the other end of my prayers? And then that question, or should we look for another? Is there another way of getting through life? Many have tried. Is there another source of pleasure worth seeking other than Christ and his service? Well, plenty of people have sought that. maybe we should look for fulfillment elsewhere and i'm sure many of us have tried or by the grace of god has god mercifully reduced you to jesus confession, uh, to peter's confession lord to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that thou art the christ the son of the living god So boys and girls, young friends, what did Jesus do with John's questions? Did he get angry with him? John, you should have known better. What sort of a question is that? Where is your faith? Did Jesus become sad? John, after all that I've said, all that I've done, you ask this? Did Jesus send his disciples back to John in prison and say, I am he. the situation in which John found himself. It might be easy for us to say, well, John, don't you know better? Haven't you had a Christian education? Weren't you brought up in a Christian home? I'm contemporizing what we might say to John in his day. Weren't you brought up in a church like this? Didn't you make confession of faith? Didn't you sit at one time at the Lord's Supper, John? Don't you you know better? But this is an important point, beloved, John is the greatest prophet that ever lived prior to Jesus coming to this world. And if this man, and I say this respectfully, couldn't hold on to his faith at will, then that teaches us neither can we. Some people think we can just exercise faith whenever. But faith not only was a gift of God the first time we received it, it's a gift of God every time we exercise it. And I say this because I sometimes wonder, do we thank the Lord every time faith is exercised? Do we thank the Lord every time that we're able to hold fast to Christ and to plead the words of God believingly? We ought to. Because it still is a gift. If, if there was ever a history that shows that we cannot exercise faith, we can't keep believing whenever we want, this certainly would show it. But what's fascinating, young people, about this history is Jesus didn't answer the messengers at all for a while. In fact, it almost seems like he didn't even hear them. He just went about doing what he had been doing. And I trust there are people here who know what that's like too. You pray and you ask and you plead and it seems like the prayers go nowhere, that there's no answers, that it's just silence and this can go on for some time. And that can be a very hard time, especially when you're in deep ways, deep afflictions, deep troubles, chronic pain, searing losses. God's silences can be some of the most painful experiences of our life in those times of need when we're crying out to God, when we're missing his presence and his favor, and then to not be able to hold on to faith, when it seems like there's just no response at all, no yes, no no, no indication of direction, nothing. Now for those of us sitting here tonight who are unsaved, you may not even care about the silence of heaven, because Quite honestly, you you run your life on your own intuition, your own smarts, your own will, your own desires. But that's not true of a believer. Of those of us who are unsaved, God describes you in Psalm 10, verse 4, God is not in all your thoughts. And that is an awfully sad way to live, and it's a more sad way to die. If we continue that way do you know of such trials where you so miss the Lord do you know of those times when you can't seem to to find the faith you once thought you had where maybe you've even done so much in the Lord's favor raised children on the knees of the gospel taught catechism, Sunday school witnessed the neighbors and whatever and then you find yourself in a situation and you don't know where to turn and your prayers and sighs and tears seem to fall on deaf ears the psalmist writes about this how long wilt thou forget me O Lord forever how long wilt thou hide thy face from me and yet our Lord did understand John's dilemma boys and girls we know the Lord Jesus at this point no don't we He could have easily just said a word and the prison door would have flown open and John could have walked out of there. He could have done that. Or Jesus could have simply spoke the word and John's faith would be revived and he'd be fine. Even in the prison. But he didn't do that. And that can be some of the hardest moments when we know that Jesus could change the situation and he does not when the chronic chronic praying continues, when the wayward son or daughter continues their waywardness. When we've been praying, when we've been fasting, when we've been asking and nothing seems to change and we know he could change it, we know he could make it better, we know he could save the lost and he does not. And those are the moments that Satan loves to harass you, aren't they? He doesn't care for you. He's not listening to you. He's not even there. And those promises you're pleading, just words on a page. And now you see the proof of it, because the God to whom you've been praying does not respond in any way. Now of course, children, Satan has been a liar from the very beginning, and he continues <laughs> to lie to us all the time. So we don't want to believe anything he says. He's accursed. But the fact that Jesus understands is indisputable. He has shown that throughout the gospel history so many times during his life here on earth. He is here, and he's able to do wonders. And there's simply no question about it. So that means, and this is key, that means when he doesn't answer the way we had anticipated, faith tells us there must be a reason there's something to this I am not yet seeing because we're not the first people who think that Jesus is too late or Jesus isn't there when we needed him Jesus has infinite wisdom we don't he knows what he's doing we don't always know Mary and Martha thought Jesus is way too late their brother had died he was already in the grave but Jesus wasn't too late was he? Jairus thought Jesus was too late. His daughter had died with Jesus on the way to cure her. But he wasn't too late, was he? He raised her from the dead. Israel thought God was too late. There they were at the Red Sea, mountains on either side, the sea in front of them, Pharaoh coming up fast. Too late. No, it wasn't. God made a way through the sea. Jesus not only understands But beloved, Jesus sees the big picture. We tend to see the situation we're in. We tend to see the circumstances around us. But God is looking long-term. He's focused not so much on our feelings, not so much on our happiness. He is focused on our spiritual and eternal welfare. He is eminently focused on making us like his Son, And we quoted, didn't we, this morning from Hebrews where it says, and if his son learned obedience by the things that he suffered, is that not good enough for us? If God so pleases to teach us that way. Whatever it takes to work Christ's likeness in our life, God will not hesitate to use. And he does so out of love. And so John being in prison, children, was not a surprise to Jesus. John asking the questions he asked, that wasn't unexpected by Jesus. The fact that John was still in prison wasn't a mistake made by Jesus. And that leads us to our second thought, our compassionate Savior encourages John's messengers at this point must have been wondering whether Jesus even heard them. As I said earlier, he just kept going on his way. Verse 21 we read, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, of evil spirits, unto many that were blind he gave sight. That seems like an awfully strange answer, isn't it? Doesn't say a word, just goes about his business that he'd been doing Already, Why would Jesus do that? Didn't, didn't Jesus care about John's desperate condition? His need for assurance? And for that matter, doesn't he care about you? About the answers to prayer you've been waiting for? About the situations you've been facing? About the many prayers you've sent to heaven? Doesn't he care? Jesus stretches at times our faith to the limit. Sometimes beyond what we think is our limit of endurance. But the Lord knew well what he was doing then, and our Lord knows well what he's doing now. We read in that same hour he cured many and so on. What was Jesus doing? How could this help John? The fact that he's doing all these wonders for others, and there John sits hearing all this, how could this help? How could this catalog of miracles, which cover a rather broad spectrum, weakness, sickness cured by him, devils commanded to flee, those who couldn't see were given sight? What did John need at this moment? For that matter, what do you need at this moment? What are your infirmities? What are mine that we're carrying around with us? Maybe too many to list. What are the burdens you are carrying? What is the sickness that you have? What is the chronic pain? Inoperable tumors, Terminal diagnosis? And on it goes. And those who are saddled with all kinds of discouragements, depressions, anxieties, and doubts, and fears, and burdens. And maybe it feels like I just can't carry this so much longer. Where is Jesus Jesus is called the bearer of our burdens. Why isn't he bearing my burden now? Then Jesus answering said unto them, verse 22, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. There's two things going on in that answer. John being a prophet, those words rang a bell. Isaiah 35, 3 through 6, a prophecy about the Messiah. Strengthen ye the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees say to them that are of a fearful heart be strong fear not behold your God will come with vengeance even God with a recompense he will come and save you that's the prelude then the eyes of the blind shall be opened the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb sing For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Instead of saying, I am He, Jesus is saying, The word of the Lord is being fulfilled before your very eyes. He let the word of God say what He could have said, He let the word of God speak to John in these moments of need and Exactly what John needed, what we all desire, is a demonstration of power. The power of God's Spirit. And that's what we really want, isn't it? We so often, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, I include myself, we so often focus on an outcome. We put our trust in an outcome. We pray to God for an outcome and we're looking for that outcome and if it doesn't come, we're all disappointed, maybe even disillusioned. But many times, instead of the outcome, God instead gives us the grace to bear that burden, to carry that burden. It's like Paul says, I glory in my infirmities for when I am weak then the power of Christ rests upon me God said no to Paul's request his prayer three times to remove the thorn in the flesh but that was not God's plan for him God wanted him to learn that in those moments of weakness we can have such nearness to him and such power from above And that brings great glory to God. And we realize, I could not go on, but God brought me through another day, another trial, another ache, another pain. We tend to focus on the solution. Jesus focuses our attention on the process. We want to be done with the trials. Jesus wants to make us holy in our trials. We think we know what's best for us. Our Savior knows what's best for us. Go your way and tell John. But then there was one more thing Jesus said after talking about the fulfillment of that prophecy. To the poor, the gospel is preached. Now why would that be so significant to John? That was John's message. The publicans, the harlots, the soldiers, they all came And he pointed them all to Jesus. To the poor, to the needy, to the desperate, to the sinful. To them, to us, to you, to me. This gospel is preached. And that separated John's ministry from all the rest that was going on in his day. The prevalent religion of the day was fix yourself up, do better, try harder, and maybe you'll qualify for heaven. And John's message was, you need to return to the Lord and turn from your ways and look to the Lamb of God to be forgiven. And that message is today. So if you've been hoping that God's noticed all your good attempts to be holy and that at some point you can cash in on that to have a few answers of prayer, it doesn't work that way. God may very well be bringing us into that attitude of heart where having the gospel preached to the poor connects to us viscerally. The gospel is not good news to the self-righteous. The gospel is not good news for those who think to earn God's favor. The gospel is good news to lost sinners. The gospel is good news to humbled minds and to broken lives. Free grace for the bankrupt full pardon for spiritual criminals those who have no money and no price they come to buy at the marketplace of Jesus and so simple is the gospel that in Isaiah 55 incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live So is the gospel good news to you? Is the gospel good news to you? Is It's designed for the poor in spirit. I find it remarkable when preaching through Revelation. When he gets to the church of Laodicea, that was probably the church in the worst spiritual condition, Jesus said to them, "'Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing,' knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? In other words, they were absolutely unaware of how threadbare they were spiritually. They were totally blind to their blindness. They were heedless of God's wrath. And yet what's amazing, instead of simply condemning that church and writing them off, this same Jesus said to them, I counsel thee to buy of me gold dried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So, in other words, Jesus doesn't just show us our malady, but he shows us he is our remedy and so when, so when the pain isn't taken away and when that broken relationship is not restored and when that when that wayward son and daughter is not returned that is not because god isn't hearing you it's not because god doesn't love you it isn't because there isn't a savior for you i will never forget as long as my mind is sound standing by the graveside of a newborn child that died in childbirth. And I finished preaching at the cemetery and the father of that child, we were living in rural Arkansas, with shovel in hand, began to bring the gospel to the people there. It was beyond moving. About to bury his newborn child, bringing the gospel to those people. And whether it was a night or two later, I visited them in their home. It was dark. They had tucked the children in bed, the other ones that they had. She looked me in the eye with one of those looks that meant, I mean business. She said, Pastor, couldn't God bring that child back even now? Now, if you think you're going to bring some trite response in a moment like that, you're kidding yourself. So with prayer in my heart, I look back at her and I said, Bridget, he could. But maybe God will bring himself greater glory by giving you the grace to bear this affliction to his honor. The smallest of smiles began to form in the corner of her mouth. And she said, I believe you're right. That Jesus, who could have raised that child even then, he already showed that, didn't he, children, with Lazarus? She realized maybe God is calling me when everyone else expects me to be filled with self pity. That here's an opportunity to glorify him more. And would you know, dear people? I forget how many years later it was. We were already in Ontario. They lost another child at birth. And the letters she wrote me, I kept. It was so full of faith. So full of the glory of God. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always give us what we feel we need. He gives us what we actually need. He gives us the grace to glorify him in the most impossible of situations. Show John who I am by the gracious mercies that I show and by the gospel I preach to the poor. That gospel can do amazing things in the lives of broken people like us. Has he done that in your life too? To glorify him even in the midst of the trial. Well, let's sing a moment from Psalter 151, 1, 2, 4, and 5. The Lord Jesus' final message to John were these words. And blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. The word translated offended here in the grief is scandalizo. It's the word from which we get the English word scandal. In other words, blessed are you if you do not consider it a scandal to be associated with me, that you do not consider it an embarrassment to confess me. Positively put, blessed is he who feels honored to be associated with me, privileged to be my disciple, who is not ashamed of me. And young people, I'm especially thinking of you with your peers, whether it's at school or homeschooling groups or university, college, on the workplace, apprenticeships, wherever you may be. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed to be associated with him? I trust you remember that Jesus once said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But he also said, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Are any of us embarrassed to be known as a believer? Are any of us feeling awkward about being a follower of Jesus Now before you answer that would your answer be the same if it meant you didn't get a promotion at work or if you got fired or if you got made fun of routinely by a professor by a ju- uh, by a boss by a friend that you'd be willing to lose a diploma from a university or a close friend or maybe trouble in your marriage by confessing Jesus openly? Are you ashamed to know him? Are you ashamed to love him? Are you ashamed to serve him? Or, by the grace of God, are you willing to follow him no matter what? No matter the cost. You know, we're living pretty comfortably in the West, aren't we, so far? And we read regularly about our persecuted brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world, what they endure for the sake of naming the name of Christ only. How much is Jesus worth to you? To me? John indeed needed to hear this. It was... The mildest of admonitions, but it was also an exhortation. In other words, John, are you all of a sudden doubtful because of your circumstances? Are you ashamed of me because I haven't done maybe what you had hoped I would do? And, beloved, if there's anything I could encourage you to remember, it is this do not judge God by your circumstances but judge your circumstances by the character of God. Do not judge God by your circumstances, but judge your circumstances through the character of God. Now, boys and girls, would it be right to say that John's reward for following Christ is a prison cell? No, it wouldn't be right even though in that prison cell he's about to be executed, beheaded, killed. No. John's reward, our reward, is knowing and believing Jesus Christ. It is the knowledge, it is the assurance that by knowing and believing him, we will spend eternity in glory with him. That is our reward for following Christ, a reward of grace. It's all of grace. And that's why we are who we are. That's why we endure to the end. Because he loves us to the end. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, could it have been that other people's opinion kept you from the Lord's Supper this morning. If I go, then people are going to expect expect what? Expect you to be godly? God already expects you to be godly. Expect you to be example? What do you think your children and grandchildren need to see? You see, we don't have a choice whether to confess the Lord. That's a false way of thinking. We have no choice. Picture an Old Testament Israelite saying, you know, I don't think I want to confess Jehovah. Those Baal worshipers got it way better. I'm going to play it safe. I'll stay in the camp, but you know, at night I'm going to go out and do my thing. You think God would have tolerated that? How dare any of us being brought up under the word of God being brought into the word of God from without how dare any of us not confess him not believe him if you don't believe the living God if you don't believe his word what can you believe man maybe you wince when you hear these things because you know you're guilty. Even as a believer, how many times haven't we sold out Jesus for fear of man? Because we didn't want the consequences. We didn't want the grief. We didn't want the guff. We, we just want to sail through life, and the, the least amount of trouble, the better. We'll bring that to Jesus if we have found ourselves guilty on any of these points, as we all, I think, have, bring that guilt to the Lord Jesus. Because going back to Isaiah, this, in this case, Isaiah 42, he brings out the prisoners from their prison. He brings those that sit in darkness into the light. And so maybe you can't free yourself from this paralyzing fear of man you have, but he can free you it says he will bind up the brokenhearted proclaim liberty to the captives and those of us who are by the grace of god not ashamed still not ashamed of jesus let us ask that we may abide in him that we might never be ashamed that when sickness comes or disappointments come or delay or dire straits that we will persevere because he preserves us. And the fact is, even a violent death that John the Baptist would soon experience could not keep him from his reward. John the Baptist, boys and girls, is as we sit here tonight in heaven with Jesus Christ, glorifying him to the highest. Blessed was that man who was not ashamed of Jesus. And I'm going to close our time together with just a few quotes of Scripture to underscore the point of this history. Whoso findeth Jesus findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And as Jesus concluded, so will we. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in him. Amen. Let us pray. O great and gracious Savior, we thank thee so much for thy kind care and compassion on this needy follower of thine. And Lord, we pray that thou will also minister to us in our situations. Thou knowest the varied and the depths and heights and width and breadth of the trials and circumstances we find ourselves in, and if not now, soon perhaps. But Lord, we do pray Thee, help us more and more to count entirely on Thy character, and that we may forget ourselves for a while, and cast ourselves wholly upon Thee, fearing more the presumption That we have when we do not believe the Son of God, than the presumption that we fear believing in Him. And Lord, help us not to be waiting for something we can see in ourselves, but that we may be looking to see what we can find in Him. Jesus was the answer to John's troubles. He is the answer to ours, Father. We thank thee for sending him. We praise thee for exalting him. We honor thee for making him to be over all things for the church. And may we each and every one shelter under his wings and be safe. We ask these things with the pardoning of our sins in Jesus' name only. Amen.